Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Our study today is taken from 2 Kings chapter 3. I'll read to you the first three verses. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king of Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now note these things before our message today. Jehoram may have changed the idol he bowed before, but he carried on the idolatry just like his father, like father, like son. Next see that God is paying attention and taking note of our sins. And as we learn today, he sees our incomplete attempts at reformation, and as a result of our sin and incomplete response to God's conviction, those sins come back upon us. The sins we chase begin to chase us. God has recorded it all down, every part of it. God sees all, God records it all. That's what we see from this, that God saw the sin of Jehoram and God wrote it down. And not only this, Jehoram was making some attempt at reformation and God takes note at our incomplete attempts to reform ourselves as well. Jehoram thought, well, I'll try to clean up the act a little bit. I'll put aside, I'll put aside the worship or this image that my father had raised. There was a commandment, by the way, that God had given to the kings. If there were idols that had been raised up that were false, they were to take those idols and they were to ground them to dust and destroy them. Jehoram doesn't grind it to dust. He doesn't destroy it. He makes an attempt at reformation, but his attempt at reformation is to simply set it aside. And we also know that it didn't say set aside for very long because after Jehoram comes a king named Jehu and Jehu rises up and Jehu finds the nation of the northern tribes fully engaged in the worship of Baal and all the prophets and priests of Baal very active in their worship and the place of worship it's all been set up and the image is there and they're worshiping the image as well and so he made an attempt at a little reformation he made an attempt to set it aside for himself personally he didn't destroy it he didn't remove it God takes note at our incomplete attempts at reformation you know you're doing something wrong you know it's not what God wants for your life you try to make some bargains. You try to set it aside for a time. You try to develop some better habits, but you don't break off from them. It's an incomplete reformation, and God sees all these things, and that's what he saw in Jehoram as well. God not only sees this incomplete reformation, but God also sees, and he notes, our continuing in sin. Verse 3, Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel a sin. He did not depart from them, you know, you fall into sin, it's bad enough, but when you continue in it, it's even worse. The call of repentance is a call to break off from a pattern of sin. It's not only a call to confess something. It's not a call to seek to limit your behavior in something. It's a call to break off completely from that sin in your life. And it's not a call, repentance is not a call for you to try to find some more acceptable form of pursuing your own self-interest. That's just idolatry. You can't go from Ahab's awful worship of Baal to Jeroboam's more acceptable worship of the calf. Again, God sees our sins. 
He records our sins. He takes note of our incomplete acts of reformation. He takes note of our continuance in our sins. And he calls us to repent. He calls us to leave off and forsake entirely those sins altogether. And here's one last thing we see in this passage. It's this. The manner of the sins that we pursue sadly follow after us in the experiences of those under our influence. The manners of the sins that we pursue sadly follow after us in the experiences of those under our influence. Now this is a general rule, but it's a general rule that proves itself true over and over again. And so we began by noting that the usual pattern is that we adopt some form of our parents' sin and these become replicated in ourselves and passed on to others. Moab was a nation that was under the rule of David. Second Samuel chapter 8 teaches us that after David conquered Moab, and by the way, Moab was the country or the people that refused a passageway for the people of Israel when they were coming to the promised land. It's Moab and one of the kings of Moab that hired Balaam to try to prophesy against the nation of Israel, and instead Balaam could only bless the nation of Israel. And Balaam prophesied that they would be subjugated to the nation of Israel, and that prophecy was fulfilled when David came and conquered Moab, and at that point in time, David made Moab his vassal, his vassal to serve him, and all the kings of Moab served David and the kings following after him, and this continued on all the way until the nations of the northern and southern kingdom divided. And at that time, the southern kingdom held on to the kings of Edom, and they became the ones who paid tribute to the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom had the kingdom or the region of Moab pay tribute to them. And the king of Moab, as a part of that tribute, on an annual basis gave 100,000 lambs to the king of Israel, and either 100,000 rams or the wool of 100,000 lambs annually as well. That seems like a lot. But I did a little looking up here, and in 1930 in Idaho, it was estimated that there were 26 million sheep in the state of Idaho. So it's a realistic number, is the point and the idea here. 100,000 lambs that were given to the king of Israel. But now they've rebelled against Ahab. As Ahab had rebelled against God and his son Jehoram had rebelled against God, so Moab was rebelling against him. They were merely expressing that same unyielding heart to Jehoram that Jehoram was expressing and presenting to God in a sense, this reveals something of the mystery of sin. Uh, the authors of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, often speak about or are led by the Spirit to speak of and talk about sin as if sin somehow had a mind of its own. If you read the Scriptures, you'll see, in a sense, these poetic ways in which the power and the form and the shape and the very way in which sin expresses itself in our lives and out from our lives it's as though sin is personified. And so when Cain sinned, we find God speaking to Cain and telling Cain that sin is crouching at the door. And Paul, when he speaks about the sin of Adam, he tells us at that time in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that at that time sin invaded or entered the world and he almost personifies it as a force or a power all of itself that enters in and takes over and enters into a point of control and influence over human lives. And Moses, 
when he warned the tribes of Israel to not disobey God's command, says to them in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, this. He says, warning them not to go against their covenant and the promises to God. He says, be sure your sins will find you out. Before sure your sins will find you out. In other words, you can hide your sin from others, but you can't hide your sin from God. And you can't hide your sins from your sins. They'll chase after you and they'll pursue you. And it doesn't matter how you disclose them and what you say to yourself and how you try to keep them from your own life and how you try to deny the things you're doing. Your sins are like seeds that are planted and they produce fruit in your life and in the lives of those around you in one way or another. And you won't be able to hide them. They come back upon you. So don't mess with sin. You can't contain it. It's like a vine that grows and grows and grows and spreads out underneath the surface of the earth and then it springs up in places where you don't want it to spring up. So let go of it and don't persist in it because you'll pass it down. It'll pass down through your life and it'll pass down to the next generation as well and that's the nature of sin. Be sure your sins will find you out and that's what happens in the life of Jehoram. He gets it from Ahab and his own rebellion, his own spirit of rebellion is reflected in the engagement now he has with Moab. So how do you break this cycle? What do you do? Let's just pause here for just a moment. How do we break this cycle of sin? Well, how do we, we stop sin from being passed on from one generation to next generation? And we see it in our own lives. How do I stop the pattern of my selfish behavior being locked away and picked up by my own children and those that are under my influence? Well, understand this, that sin gets passed along, but so can righteousness. Sin gets passed along, but so can righteousness. The first thing you have to understand is that your sin gets passed along not by some mysterious force. It's not some magical thing that's taking place here. It's passed along because it's inculcated in others by your example. It's a law of cause and effect. It's the law of planting and harvesting. You plant into the lives of your children the seed of your own rebellion and sin, and they'll have a garden full of that fruit. So here's what has to happen. Your own sin has to be taken away. You have to confess it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to repent of it. You have to break off from it. And as you break off from it, and as you repent of it, God comes to you and He brings to you His life and His cleansing and His forgiveness. And He brings to you instead His righteousness. And God brings to you certain wonderful promises, such as as far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove your sin from you. And the Lord Jesus comes in you and he helps you keep his will and his purposes in life and he lives out through you his righteous life. And in such a way you begin to develop a whole new pattern of living. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. We read it as a scripture reading. I want to read to you those verses again. Here's what John writes. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The passage is being written here right after this. Right after this, John is right. It says, I write to you little children that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The people who are being written to here are people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and believed in him. What they're being told is as they walk in his presence, as they walk with him and continue with him, his light will shine upon them. 
as they yield themselves to him, he'll reveal the areas of their lives where they're not in conformity with his will. And then they have a decision to make. And it's either that they're going to walk, continue in the light with him, or they're going to depart and go walk in the pattern of their sin. But if the walk in conformity with him at that moment, his blood is available to them to wash them and cleanse them and remove the stain of that sin and to remove from their conscience the awareness of that sin so it doesn't speak out against them and bring judgment against them. And they enjoy his fellowship. Not only do they enjoy his fellowship, but they enjoy fellowship with others in that light. It's in that kind of walk and that kind of journey that we break the cycle of sin and we begin to introduce to our children and those under our influence a different pattern of living altogether, which is a, a pattern of living in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's a pattern of be obedience through his power. It's the pattern of finding that sin comes in my life, but in his presence he reveals it and I confess it and he washes it all away. And I can be right before him and I continue walking with him and I learn to have honest, open conversations with him. And in such a way, a proverb begins to develop in my life. A proverb of righteousness that goes on and impacts my life but goes on to my children as well. So Proverbs 14, 26 gives a promise for this kind of life. It says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. Walking with the Lord Jesus and abiding with Him provides a standard and a testimony where your children know where they may abide and find themselves protected and kept and watched over. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism. To learn about our work around the world, go to traincpe.org. It's also a ministry of our mission fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work locally, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.